Hello, everybody, and welcome to Investing with IBD, sponsored by MarketSmith. Today is March 4th, 2020. I'm your host, Arusha Pierce, and with me today in the studio is Ross Gerber. Ross is the co-founder, president, and CEO of Gerber Kawasaki. Thanks for being here, Ross. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. On today's podcast, we are going to talk about the current market, the importance of thinking long-term, and then we will end the episode with three current stocks. So let's get into the current market. The market is still in a correction. We had a strong update today, but with our system, IBD, we didn't get the signal, the follow-through day, so we haven't changed it into a confirmed uptrend just yet. But leading stocks, there are a number of them that continue to hang in there. Ross, what are your thoughts? Well, I, I, I believe in what you're believing. I think we're in a correction here. I think it's really hard to tell the full economic impact that we're going to see from changed behavior. Um, there's no question earnings estimates need to come down. So we're just taking a really cautious stance right now into the year um, and really f focusing on fundamentals. Where is there value? If I'm going to buy a stock, you know, there are opportunities now. On the same respect, what's my overall allocation? Because I just think this year's a, a tough year any way you look at it. Right. And, and of course, with the whole coronavirus going on, you, you mentioned this already, where the impact is still unknown. But uh, one thing that could happen here is if you have a lot of impact on the economy and a lot of these earnings could set that low bar for potentially next year. Right? Exactly. And, and so my basic philosophy is, you know, this isn't that difficult. Earnings is where the stock market's going. Yep. If earnings are going up, stock market's going up. Valuations will change, which is really the expectations of earnings in the future. But, but you know, Anybody who thinks earnings are going up because of coronavirus is, is mistaken. So, yeah. so the question is really how far down does earnings go from where we expected and from where it was last year, and the market will follow. Um, so I think the current valuation where the market is now is, is, is probably about right. Mm -hmm. It was too frothy before. Um, but just the same, I, I think if or there's no earnings growth this year, there's going to be no growth in the stock market this year. That's what I think. Now, we have the Fed loan rates mm -hmm. yesterday. So you do have a lot of cash out there. So and much cash. I mean, so that's the offset, yeah. right? So the government's been printing cash. People have been hoarding cash. People have been buying their 2% money markets and, and, and being happy with that. And now it's going to be you know less than a 1% money market for most people, if not zero, um, because you know a lot of you know people take a huge spread now on cash because that's how they make money. But essentially, investors are back into that financial crisis mentality of, like, I have to find something that earns a yield yeah. because otherwise I'm losing money to inflation any way you look at it. Right. Uh, so that bodes really well for assets, A, hard assets, and ones that produce above average incomes that are safe. Yeah. And so, you know, that's where I think you do well. You collect a, a dividend or a coupon and, and, and you just be patient until this passes. You know, I, I, I actually think this might take some time. It won't be as severe as people think, but I think it's going to take time. Yeah. And, and right now with the, the market so volatile, it, it, you, you don't you don't want to really make big bets at this point. You want to be patient. Let let the market. I mean, down. it just depends. Okay. Like I, you know, we've taken a really big bet. Like for example, in bonds and gold. And, okay, fair enough. And yep. in, and I love making big bets in things like bonds, where 
I, I get a coupon, I have a certain margin of safety, you know, especially what we did over the last, you know, three or four or five months was really load up on California municipal bonds and bond funds and um, and leveraged closed end ET uh, leverage closed end funds of of muni bonds. Oh, interesting. Okay. Oh, yeah, because you get the double whammy of a my coupons big, yep. but b I'm using leverage, which now that cost goes down, so the return goes up. So a lot of people don't know about these closed end funds. I love trading them. You know, they're a volatile way to to play bonds, but but boy, what better yields you get, and 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 you can make money. Perfect. So let's get into how you got into investing. It's a really great story here. Uh, so yeah, walk us through this because it, it's pretty. Well, it's better than working a real job. That's so true. That's I true. learned that at a young age. You know, <laughs> if you get paid by the hour, there's a certain limit to how many hours you can work, and yep. most people that's twenty one hundred hours a year, and you can multiply that by how many much you get paid by the hour, and I did the math as a you know 15 year old, and I was like, forget that, you know. Um, these stocks look pretty good, and, you know. So my grandfather was was doing uh, 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 investing in utilities, and he was retired, and my dad was not investing, and he was working very hard as a dentist. And I was like, boy, Grandpa's doing something right here. I gotta learn how to do this. Yeah, and, and so what was he doing? Well, my grandfather actually inherited his stocks from my great grandfather. Um, but what he was doing was back in the 70s and 80s, you could buy utilities and defense companies and earn five, six, seven percent yields. Wow. So back wow. when the market, when the stock market was more new, yeah. you got paid a higher yield to offset the risks that stocks Makes had. Yeah. So you got also a higher yield in the bond market too. So making a six or seven percent yield was pretty normal. So and, and the cost of living in the 70s, 80s, obviously much less than today. Right. And so my grandfather was able to live off these utility stocks. And, and, and really what made me curious was the fact he had this desk, which I actually still have today. And, and he had this desk, and it was the desk I wasn't allowed in. So, of course, like all children, the desk you're not allowed in is the desk you want to figure out what's in it. <laughs> yes. So I would open it up, and it would be a bunch of papers. So I was a little anticlimactic, and I would be like, what are these? And he's like, oh, these are you know, the stock certificates. So he didn't believe in having stock certificates in a brokerage firm. So back then, people didn't trust brokerage firms. They had their own stocks. And you would get a check in the mail from Disney or whoever would pay you a dividend, yep. and you would literally get these checks. So I was like – this is awesome. <laughs> like I just sit here for a month and I get checks and yeah. like everybody else is out working. How do I do this? And, yeah. and I'm a musician. So then I really was like, you know, I, if I'm going to play music, I'm a hundred percent going to be poor. So this, this will be a way I could make money. So that was the original idea. And so I started studying stocks when I was like 13 and, and then I was working, uh, delivering pizzas and, and as a waiter at an Italian restaurant and, and I was making good money, you know. Yeah. I, I liked I liked uh, working, you know. And so I had this wallet full of money as a 16-year-old. My mom wow. was like, what are you doing? You've know, <laughs> you got to put this in stocks. And and so I bought Disney stock, and, and that was all I knew. And, and my mom showed me how to follow it in the newspaper. Okay. And we would follow it in the newspaper. And, and I think I was mentioning it, it, it split three for one yes. in the 80s. And when that happened, I was sold. I was like, why would I not do this? Yeah. Like, I, I, I invest in companies and, and you can really multiply the value of your money and my money in the money market that was earning six and seven percent yep. seemed like the worst place to keep money. And granted, this was the 80s. So, right. the, you know, the market was great in the 80s. 
Um, and then, you know, I did, one of my baseball coach when I was 16 was also a stockbroker. And so, oh, interesting. Um, yeah, I was, we kind of talked just recently. He saw me, he saw me on CNBC. I was like, this is your fault because <laughs> I thought he was the coolest guy in town. Cause he could teach baseball, uh, to, to all of us in the afternoon. He was like done working oh, that's perfect. And, and you know, he had a cool car and a hot girlfriend. I was <laughs> like, I want to be a stockbroker. This is better than and any job, right? Yeah. Certainly better than being a dentist, which is what my dad does. And not because being a dentist is bad, but I was not into teeth. You yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm into teeth, but not fixing them. And uh, <laughs> and so so I thought this was was a good way to go. And that's why I went to UPenn and started studying at Wharton too. And and um, and then it, simultaneously, I was playing music. Okay. And then so after UPenn, you, you went to Sun America. Right. And 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 you were a financial advisor there. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, go go into that a little bit because you brought some technology in there <laughs> yeah. that blew everyone away. Yeah, I brought a computer in. So I started the industry in '94, June of '94. I'm coming on uh, 26 years now, and at the time, computers were kind of new, you know, not computers, but like I had a laptop yeah. and it had Windows 95 and AOL. Yep. And so I I got to start working. And basically what we did back then was sell retirement plans. So we sold IRA accounts and mutual funds. Um, we sold a lot of mutual funds back then. So we so so back in the you know late 80s and then into the 90s, mutual funds were like the big thing. And it was a super simple way for people to invest. And I remember when I was in college, because I would follow stocks, I, I didn't even know what a mutual fund was. And my mm -hmm. dad had mutual funds, and he had done well with them. And he kept saying, son, you know, study this. And I was like, what? dad, I don't know, what is this? You know, yeah. just buy a stock, you know. Uh, but so when I graduated and started working in South America, and they were selling mutual funds, and then eventually annuities, uh, variable annuities, which I thought were great, because you had tax deferral and stuff, um, I was like, people don't invest. Like, this seems so obvious. Like, how you ever going to do anything if you don't invest like, right yeah you know, so so we sold mutual funds and retirement plans to people um and and so i had the first computer in the office and and that was my premise that you know essentially in the future everybody would have a computer at their yes. desk and i was going to invest in aol and gateway and dell and microsoft and all the companies that would great put a computer ideas on your desk point. i didn't think it was that innovative because Compared to the typewriter, yeah. this was like a no-brainer, right? That's true, right. And, they right. Tr and, and they've tried to force me to type stuff on the typewriter, and I wouldn't do it. And, and <laughs> you know, so I was a problem ever since I started in the industry. That's when I realized I had to – early on, I would eventually have to start my own firm because I wasn't going to fit in any mold in the industry, which is still true to this day. Yeah. Um, but, but back then – you know, which is basically my theory in investing in decade-like themes. Yep. The theme that I was investing in back then was the rise of the internet through yes. AOL and the rise of the personal computer, um, because it just seemed obvious that everybody would have them in the workplace yep. and at home. Um, and and Apple was an investment of mine back then, but that was sort of the IBM Microsoft era. Yeah, and so you've been doing this for twenty six years yeah. now. And and we spoke about this uh, as yesterday. a pro, as a pro, a, a, as a pro, and and you and, and you survived the markets, right? Yeah. I, I always look at it that way. So if you've been around for twenty six years, you, you've done something right, especially yeah. the 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 busts that we've had. Over we've the last had six well, years. I, I'm I'm proud to say because a lot of people are like, oh Ross, you you know you only make money in bull markets. So I was like, hey, you know you you weren't old enough to remember what I've actually been through, right. you know. Um, so I've I invested in the worst 
decade in the history of the stock market and made money through that whole decade, not during parts of it, that's for sure. I certainly cannot claim that I avoided the financial crisis because I didn't. Um, and I got whacked. And but what I what I learned a lot of lessons in that decade. It's made me, uh, I think, a hundred times better investor than most people who have not been through these things. Sure. Because I learned some very important lessons. Like one that I will share today, which is, and I and I and I learned this the hard way in the financial crisis is whatever they're telling you, it's bullcrap. Mm -hmm. So you know, if you think like they have it under control. They don't actually. Right. Exactly. So back yeah. then, I kind of was like, "Oh, we have all these smart people. They can't screw it up that bad." Yeah. You know, yeah. that is such a mistake. Yep. So like this coronavirus thing, yep. like they can they can bring out a hundred experts and say we've got this under control. Trust me, they do not. Yeah. You know, so like true. if you think so that true. this is just going to be a minor thing and the government will handle it and all the hazmat teams will come and save us from the the evil disease like in Netflix, yeah. it's just <laughs> not going to happen. So this is going to be botched over and over again it's going to take months to solve this problem i'm hoping that it doesn't get out of control you know yep. um, but boy if you think competent people are dealing with our our global woes boy are you mistaken you know yeah. so that's a lesson no you're, you're, you're so right so we still have the markets in correction but we could potentially get back in an uptrend anytime in the end we're going to let the market tell us what to do but make sure you're keeping your watch list up to date Let's take a quick break, but when we return, we're going to get into the importance of long-term thinking and also thinking about those long-term trends. Stay tuned. I'm here with Scott St. Clair, and Scott is one of the senior product coaches at MarketSmith. Now, Scott, we've both been doing this for a long time, and we know that investment research takes a lot of time. There's so many factors that you want to look into to try to figure out that whether this is a stock to buy or not, quarterly earnings huge sales growth. Hey, are institutions buying it? The list goes on and on. Yeah, it's a common question. I hear it all the time. I don't have time to, to do this work. So you don't have to spend that much time. If you have a tool like Marcus Smith, we do a lot of that work for you. Right there on the chart, earnings, sales, group strength, institutional sponsorship, like you just mentioned. Right. It's all there in the chart. So it allows you to make a decision much easier. Yeah. And the beauty is that we have in-house analysts that go through the SEC filings. They pull out those numbers and they put it right on the markets make chart. And all you have to do is analyze them. Yeah. I couldn't imagine having to go to the SEC website and look at the income statement, et cetera. That sounds like a lot of work. Yeah. And, and, and that would take hours and hours. And in that time, you can go through hundreds of stocks and find the best ones. So don't miss out on a big winner because you don't don't have enough time to research it. For more information, go to investors.com slash podcast 2020. Ross Gerber is our guest on Investing with IVD, sponsored by MarketSmith. Okay, Ross, let's get into long-term thinking and, yeah. and how you approach this in the markets. I actually it's like an arbitrage between short-term mentality of the markets and the long-term thinking of investors. So, mm -hmm. so the way the markets work today, which is one, one reason a lot of older guys struggle in the markets is they don't adapt to the way the markets work today versus the way the markets used to work. For example, if you're not on Twitter, yep. you are not getting information as fast as I am. It's true. So, you know, and I had this debate with, with uh, a reporter who sometimes reporters think they know more than we do, which is a big mistake. You know, we have like 
a billion dollars we're betting on stuff trust right. me right we really know what we're doing yeah and um and i was having this debate and there's the guy's like how, how do you know this and i go because i have a guy on twitter who sits at the tesla factory taking pictures every day you know yep. oh so you know you can get information on the short term that can be very valuable very quickly you have to know how to parse what's true and what's not true by your sources um, but the markets have changed, and so you can really take advantage of the short-term swings in the market that are created by the volatility, A, of computer trading, and B, of short-termers, by thinking long-term. Yep. So one of the strategies we've been using is we wait for our favorite companies to get really whacked okay. after earnings. You know, like, now after earnings, you have no idea which way your stock's going to go. Yeah, have great earnings stocks gets hammered. You have bad earnings stock rallies. Coin flip, it literally yeah. makes no sense anymore. Yeah. Like, I don't trade around that at all. Can't. Like, oh, they're going to have a great earnings report. That has nothing to do with where the stock's going to go. Yep. Like, it's literally a coin flip. And, and so what we do is we wait for the good companies we have to miss by a penny. They get hammered by like 25%. And then we'll add to the position because we're like, here's an opportunity because it's such short-term thinking right. versus on the long term, this is a really good company. Yep. And so we constantly look for those stocks that get super hammered. Um, like IAC right now, you know, got really cheap in the correction. Like, oh, people aren't going to date anymore on, on, match on Match and on Tinder. And, and they still own, like, what, 50% of the company or something? They I mean, own a, a lot amount, of Match, right? yeah. and they're about to spin it off. Yeah. But I'm like, trust me, people don't give up lovemaking. Right. You know, it's right. like, I don't care about the virus, right. you know? It's <laughs> like, I'll wear a mask, you know? <laughs> so I'm not that worried about it, but they hammer the stock yep. off this, like, weird fear, or what we're seeing now with casino stocks. And, and so if you're a long-term investor, and let's say one of our themes right now is sports and gambling have mixed, and They've also mixed with Vegas. That, that's it, a huge, uh, and and I mean, that's just getting started. Totally. Right? So when we talk about long-term thinking, I'd say every decade has its themes. And every decade, these themes play out. And if you're invested in these themes over that period of time, you can make 10x returns. You know, So I could buy like Apple and make 15 to 20% a year, let's say, if they do everything right. Mm -hmm. And I'm perfectly fine with that. Right. But you you make a good return, but you don't get like really rich. Where you get really wealthy is when you're on the wave. You know, when you can yep. get on the wave of something that's really happening, like EVs with Tesla and solar. Yep. So or like AOL back in the day. AOL yep. back in the day, like nobody had the internet, everybody's gonna want the internet, you know? Yep. Um, so every decade I spend, not every decade, I do this all the time actually, but, but at least now that it's a new decade, I spend, a lot of time thinking. See, a lot of people spend a lot more time on research and analysis and CFA stuff mm -hmm. and not enough t time really thinking, you yes. know, like thinking out what will change our world. And so, like, to me, climate change is the biggest issue, right? So we, we have to address that. So what companies address this issue? Because over the next decade, we will be forced to solve it yep. or die. Yeah. It's yeah, not a, a lot, right there, yeah. you know, like, for example, I don't want to own property casualty companies for a hundred reasons. I don't want to insure against losses from risk from weather. True. That seems to like Very a true. really bad business. Oh, I can keep raising rates, but we're just, you know, one event away from like a trillion dollar event, you mm -hmm. know, and it's like, it'll be a disaster of epic proportions. And you're going to say, oh, you're a doomsday guy. No, I'm just saying, if you look at the severity of storms over time, it's got worse and worse. Right. One of these big hurricanes is going to barrel into Miami, and that's going to cost a, a fortune. Yeah. You know, And so the, the reality of 
these themes are it's like gravity you can't change those themes so so like vegas gambling and sports so sports businesses realize like the interest is waning unless we add uh, gambling to it right and vegas is like you know kids come here but they don't want to play poker and blackjack anymore they want to play video games and gamble on sports yeah and so how do we make this into a video game where you can gamble on sports and still go to vegas and go to a pool party and see some dj and gamble on sports right and maybe gamble on video games and maybe you know it just goes on and on because yeah. young people do like to gamble still and and so vegas is merging all this together and it's going to be an enormous opportunity a for sports b for vegas uh c for online gambling companies uh all the regional uh gambling companies also have the advantages you have to have a physical location in the state so oh, companies that have casinos all over the the country have an advantage yeah because you want to partner with them now if you look at like what's happened in new jersey their gambling revenue is soaring from yes. online gambling yeah so so like when you think about this theme of like what's vegas going to be in five and ten years because it's not going away i'll tell you that it's not going to be a bunch of D djs everywhere you know like that's played out you mm -hmm. know but what's not played out is the new stadium and the oakland raiders are now the las vegas raiders right. and and the golden knights yep. went to the stanley cup and and boy we could get into sports mgm's putting a club in the stadium yeah. so if you go stay at mgm you can get tickets to the game on Sunday. You know, you can go to a pool party on Saturday. You know, go to the game, VIP. And now I have even more incentive to gamble because I can get these tickets. And I can just go on my phone app and place bets and all kinds of and, stuff. And they'll probably be able to place bets on who gets the next first down. And they're, totally. They're, they're going to do all that That's kind what of XFL betting, is. Right? So yeah. XFL is the first test of this. Interesting. It's, it's very similar to NFL football. I'm like watching this. I'm like, what's the difference? Yeah. Uh, you know, I just don't know who these people are. Yeah. But what they're doing is they're integrating gambling, in-game betting, into the actual announcing and into the game. Yeah. And and I, th I think that's where the future lies for sports. Uh, people want to be interactive with it. They want to bet. They want to communicate with their friends through chat or on Twitter. Yeah. Um, and and – it's and the engagement goes just soars, and so so we're we're investing and looking for investments in this area. So you look at a pullback like you see now in coronavirus for the casinos, right? And you say, wait, are these casinos all going to just shut down now and never open again? Of right. course not. Right. In a year, I mean, in the short term, they they right. may get hit, right? But, but in, in a long year, term, right. they're going to be playing Raiders game. And right. trust me, uh, heavyweight boxing is back now too. That's true. You know the yep. Fury Wild Wilder, Wilder too. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yep. So that fight was the first time in a long time that it was bigger than UFC. That's right. And, you know, boy, get, you know, they got another two fights planned now. It's having heavyweight fights back in Vegas and the betting and the in-round betting and the, right. and the VIP stuff and the celebrities, you know, boy. And now, okay, so— Great so, time to get in casinos. So, so we have, have, have the sports casino, that merging— what other trends you have the the climate climate change, change climate change is a big one and then cannabis, cannabis you know yeah. for That's 20 true. you know i had i most people don't know this i had the biggest pot rally in the history of the university of pennsylvania in 1991 um back then i was working on on legalization i thought it was absurd i was living in west philly the crime and the and the the crack epidemic was at the high in in the late 
uh, early uh, 90s, late 80s. And I thought all these poor kids are getting arrested for pot. It was mm -hmm. basically a Jim Crow law. And it was just ridiculous, you know. The only reason pot was ever made illegal was to arrest immigrants and minorities. Like, that's the only reason. Like, there was no other reason, you know. Mm. And so it's been used as a tool by the government to oppress people, basically. So I was like, this is absurd. It should just be legal. And, like, what? So, of course, I, I call high times and I was like, let's have a rally because they were going through uh, normal was the group. And so Jack Harar himself, you know, calls me back. Who's you know who's a legend now in the movement and and I actually hung out with him and <laughs> and had this pot rally at Penn and and it ended up being a huge rally. I had no intention of this <laughs> and uh, I don't think my parents know. Fortunately, they don't. Uh, well, maybe they will listen to the podcast. Um, but all these guys showed up, had this huge, huge rally. And if you were going to tell me that it would take, you know, 25 years before this actually happened, I would have been That's like, pretty That's crazy, yeah. right? Uh, and it's still schedule one on the federal level. And it's still like cash moving around in trucks. Cause like yeah, some no banks can crazy it, so, right? thing, yeah. like heroin pot, you know, cocaine pot, you know, I'm like, it's crazy. Right. right. So cannabis, now that it's legal in California is a good example. Um, it's a it's an unlimitedly large business, you know, market. Oh, yeah. And what we saw in Vegas is was a, a dispensary we looked at called Planet Thirteen. There, it's the largest dispensary maybe in the, in the United States. Okay, it, definitely in Vegas. It does ten percent of the business in Vegas. And 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 if you go there, I've never seen anything like it. The lines out the door, and people just fly in from all over the country. The first stop now is Planet Thirteen, oh, so wow. they can get their weed before they go gamble and do whatever else they're going to do. And when I interview people in the line, they're from all these states where it's not legal, mm -hmm. and we're and they're just like blown away. Like I can't believe that this is illegal, but yeah. yet we can come to Vegas and stand in line and get the most incredible products I've ever seen. Yeah. So pot went from zero to a hundred in like a month, and they did it way too fast. And so now all these companies have, have gotten hammered: bad governance, bad management, too much money too quickly. And but that that's what happens in a, a lot of industries. It's right? always it's, like, the, it's kind of like, like Bitcoin. Dot com. Oh, yeah, it's like totally thing, like Bitcoin right? or dot com. Exactly. You get yes. that rally. Yep. Everybody oh, and then it's like boom right. as reality hits. Yep. But this is the best time to invest because it cleans out all the, the all bad those, stuff. Exactly. Right. And then. It's like people sort of – it doesn't change the demand equation. Yeah. And then all of a sudden the quality emerges. Yeah. And if you pick that quality, when you think out 10 years from now, I, I see a world where there's just dispensaries like liquor stores all yeah. across the country and it's legal. You know, well, you, well, you have like right, right down the street from us here, like on Sepulveda, there's Mad Men. Right, right? Mad Men, yeah. Yeah, so that, that's one of those companies that they're kind of like the Apple store, I've heard, right. <laughs> of, of, of pot. And, and it's just horribly managed, and, okay. and they spent too much money, and they created a great brand. And so Mad Men is probably the most oh, known man. brand in the country. Um, but they also are like a 40-cent stock and serious problem, and I don't recommend buying it. Um, so if these companies can get – their act together. Yeah. Um, and we own IIPR, uh, which is the, uh, that yeah. yeah, that's the REIT. Yes. And a, it pays a dividend and it's like over 4%. And, and B, it's well managed and you own property. So I, it's, I think that it's, was the best thing when I read about because I had that last year. When you have you have land, <laughs> right? The land that it's a they build. go down. It's, it's a just, building. That I I always like the picks and shovels play. Yeah, right? totally. Yeah, and 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 that one was exactly that. Totally picks and, and and I like picks and shovels, and and so IAPR 
has been able to raise capital very easily at high valuations and then redeploy it buying buildings from cannabis companies and re-renting it out at a 13% cap rate. Wow. Now, if you walk around a real estate here in LA, they're bragging about 4% cap rates, you know? And I'm like, you take your 4% cap rate and, you know, <laughs> whatever. I, I could care less. The last thing I need is your building with a low yield, you right. know? And the casinos pay 6.5% cap rate, and it's way easier to manage than an apartment building. Yeah. You don't have to do anything. MGM just pays you, right, with MGP. So if I can get 13% lending back to a grower their own building, yeah. Like it's just a no brainer. And, and, you know, so the stock's gone up. So the actual yield to investors is more like four, four and a half. But anytime that thing goes down, I buy it because over the next decade, I think they're going to be the main player in owning for, for, for cannabis. MGP. No, uh, IPR. Okay, yeah. IPR. So we'll, these we'll are talk about these are two stocks that are great in this market because you're getting a, a nice yield and you yes. own buildings and stuff. Yes. And hard assets are not going away. Right. You know? Now let, let's just end uh, this segment on on one last thing. Uh, with this long-term thinking, you know, it, it gets back to the point that it's investing, right? It shouldn't be exciting. It should be right. boring, right? right. So th talk about that uh, briefly. So the Robinhood thing, you know, I get, I get criticism for it because I bang on Robinhood all the time. Not because, oh, they gave, they've democratized trading. Like E-Trade's been here and Ameritrade's been here for a long time, right. guys. They, <laughs> you know, Robinhood didn't invent anything, okay? And what they, what they did was fool you into not understanding spreads, right? Um, but the thing I don't like is they've gamified trade, trading. It's a really cool app. You can't wait to get on and trade. I'm reading about a 38-year-old guy who's a marketing manager at so-and-so's company, and he gets on at lunch and places a few trades on oh Robinhood. God. And I'm like, dude, this is like a recipe for disaster. Yeah. Okay. If you like, treat it like a game, it's just going to be a game. Right, but it's a game you lose. Right. Okay. So just like Vegas, it's rigged against you. Yep. I I can't express this to people enough. It's it's rigged against you. I went to the floor of the New York Stock Exchange in 1999. This is where I learned the lesson. I was literally on the floor at the top of the market. Mm -hmm. It was insane back then. There were not computers running everything. It was people running around. Yep. And I spent a day with a floor trader. It was the most illuminating day in my career about how dumb it was to be a day trader because all the other traders you're trading against are on the floor. Yeah, and they see and everything. And they have way more information. <laughs> exactly. Way, way more. And all. And, and I remember this so clearly because the guy's looking at me and go, you see everybody here? They're all millionaires. They're, every one of them here is a millionaire. Wow. All of the floor traders were. And I, I was like, why? They just do opposite of what the customers were doing. Yep. So the market makers and specialists, which we don't have anymore, would cut volatility because they know the client's always wrong. Right. And, and boy, we see the same thing on our desk. So markets go down and the clients start calling in panic mode. And, and we're like, we should just buy what they're selling. And right. it works almost every time, yeah. every time. So I, I, I think that if I buy Apple or Disney or Tesla and I put it in my portfolio and you call me in a decade, you'll do way better than if you try to trade those stocks over the next decade. Yep. And it's just the way human behavior is. We're just not suited for it. Like I can't explain to people how immune I am to swings in the market. You know, like this week I've made or lost a minimum of 20 million a day mm -hmm. every day this week. And, and it hasn't phased you. It doesn't phase me at all at this point. I'm yeah. immune to it. Like, like, unless it's like four bad ones in a row. Yeah, if okay. I lose eighty million, I, get, <laughs> I start, you know, I Sweat, start, sweating a little. Well, bit. it's not sweat. I start, I start getting annoyed. I guess okay. would be the word. Okay. Um, but you have to work so hard to do that. I've done this my whole life, and it's, and, and I'm not saying that it's easy either. No. 
No, not at all. So investing should be boring. So remember, yeah. think about the larger trends and have a plan in place and always manage your risk. Coming up next, we will discuss a number of ideas that are worth looking into. We'll be back. I am here with Scott St. Clair. Scott's one of our senior product coaches at MarketSmith. Now, Scott, there are a ton of publicly traded stocks just on the U.S. I think it's over 5,000 stocks. Who has the time to go through all of these stocks and find the very best ones? Yeah, most people don't, right? So what you need is a tool like MarketSmith. We have decades of research on what makes a great winning stock. So we've done all the research for you. So we're going to try to highlight those specific stocks with those great data points. So if you're looking for that next great potential big winner, orange stock ideas button, you just click on it and you've got some of the main reports that we use, including the Growth 250. Yeah, and the Growth 250 is the first list that I go through on the weekends. Yeah, it's the most popular one, but there are others. There's the Breaking Out Today, Stocks Near a Pivot, and then the Blue Dot List, right, which is very popular. It's going to show you the stocks with the best relative strength. So we've done a lot of the work for you. What you have to do is review these lists. You're going to come up with some of the best ideas in that current market environment. Perfect. Mark Smith saves you time and makes investment research that much easier. For more information, go to Investors.com slash podcast 2020. We are back with Ross Gerber on Investing with IBD, sponsored by MarketSmith. Okay, Ross, let's get into some current ideas. And the first idea is Disney. Yeah. And Disney's done a, a bunch of things, right? They came out Disney Plus like six months ago. Uh, and they now have announced a, a new CEO, Bob Iger's uh, stepping down. Another Bob. Yes. Yeah, I was a little impressed about that. Um, but the new guy's pretty good, so it is what it is. I, I'm really a fan of Bob Iger, and he's not actually leaving Disney, so. He's going to be the chairman, right? He's going to be the chairman. It's a okay. really big company right now, much bigger than it's ever been, and and I do think it makes sense to have like a Tim Cook guy be CEO, mm -hmm. and, and the creative part is super important. But that's another one of our themes is streaming, you know? So so streaming media is the future, whether it's YouTube or, or Disney Plus or Netflix, you got to be in this business. It's like young people do not buy cable television. Right. They watch streaming, they watch YouTube, they watch Netflix, you know, and now Disney Plus and Hulu. So Disney had a big problem with ESPN and their other assets in that everybody was going direct to consumer and Disney didn't right. have a strategy. So many years back, Bob Iger realized that and bought BAM Tech, which is the technology behind their streaming services. And, and now they've come out with this wonderful platform for growth, which is Hulu. So they took control, 100% control of Hulu plus Disney Plus, plus ESPN Plus, mm -hmm. and a company called Hotstar in India, which is a wonderful market to be in for streaming and movies. And so it's got four great streaming services now. And so the traditional relationship of the way Disney would monetize its content went through a certain pattern, and it would end up on Netflix of all places. Right. So right. Netflix would pay them a few hundred million dollars a year, and then the, the last home for Disney movies after a year through the system was on to Netflix. Mm -hmm. And this was fine when Netflix wasn't a competitor. 
You know, so Netflix had a great business model because it costs a lot of money to market a movie, like a hundred million or more sometimes. And so, like, just to get people to know about your show or movie costs a lot of money. Yeah. So when you took an established show where it's already been out, the advertising's been sent, and then I drop it on my streaming platform, yeah, I didn't have to spend money to advertise the True. show. Yep. So Netflix got all the upside of getting the viewers yep. and none of the costs of the advertising. Yeah. Now. So Netflix thought it was this great idea to compete with the you know the hands that are feeding it by by creating their, their own, own content. content. Yeah. So the problem with competing with the hands, this is like the Spotify problem too, um, is if you compete with the hands that feed it, then they all cut you off, yeah. which is what's happened. But but also Netflix probably went towards that because they probably saw hey you know five ten years from now, it, Disney and these guys very well could come out with their own right. systems. We need to protect They could have worked around that. Okay. Kind of like how Spotify has by having stakes of the record labels own Spotify. Okay. Yep. So they have a, a big benefit of Spotify's success. Yeah. Um, and they've monetized that hugely, you know. But in Netflix's case, that was not the, the structure of Netflix. Yeah. But Netflix could have gone to the major company and said, hey, look, we'll give you 5% of the company for an unlimited you know, deal yeah, or true. whatever. Yeah. Um, I think Netflix is on, in uncharted territory for them. Um, and that's why we've cut our risk at, at Netflix and we still own a position, but we've made a ton of profit there. And, and, and so we've taken a lot out because I think the cost of making programs, they've brought the cost up so much. I mean, spending $10 million for an hour of content, that's comedy. You know, yeah. a guy standing there talking. Yeah. Um, now they're doing comedy shows all over L.A. I'm like, I don't think they know that you don't make money. And comedy shows, you know, the only times comedians have ever made money is when Netflix came and started writing them that's checks. True. That's what so, David Chappelle said. <laughs> yeah, you know, so Netflix has a way of enriching people who love them, yes. who love them to death. But from a shareholder perspective, the, the the business has issues. So, so Disney said, "Oh, well, we already have all these franchises that everybody knows, and yeah. we've spent a fortune building. Let's just put them on our own streamer." So right. now Disney can monetize its content through the park, through the you know the the theaters, through iTunes, and then boom, now it's on our streaming service, right. and I can collect another five, six, yeah. ten bucks a month from you from all the different services we have. Um, it's just a brilliant model. And then also have spinoffs, too, like The Mandalorian for, for Star Wars. and Because you can try stuff on your streamer that yeah. you're not going to spend $150 million on a movie. Right. You know? So if I did The Mandalorian as a movie, oh, that's a high-risk thing. But if I spend the same $100 million, break it up into 10 episodes, it's, it's probably a better bet. And right. I don't have to take that risk. Plus, I think, like, one of the things I saw on Disney Plus the other day was they had uh, – these short films that they they basically try out animators by letting them do short films, oh, and if they do a good job, then yeah. they maybe make them into a big film oh, like on nice. Pixar. Oh, so they really posted cool. these all on Disney Plus. So I started watching these ten short films on Disney Plus, and five of them are just amazing, just amazing. And I was like, how much content do they really have that they just don't really put out because, you know, maybe it's not an obvious market or not yeah. something they want to put a lot of marketing dollars. Yeah. And now they can drop this on the streaming services and see how they do. Yeah, and just see the you analytics. Know? And totally, see totally. That's beautiful. So, so I think now with coronavirus shutting through Disney parks and Disney coming back down to 116, 117 is a gift that is an unbelievable gift for long-term investors. Yep. So we're still, you know, cautious right now about buying more Disney because I want to have a little bit more 
uh, certainty on on what's going to happen here in the United States. Right. Um, because if Disney parks close in the United States, that'll be very very costly. Um, but it will be an enormous opportunity if that happens to, for long term investors. And 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 Disney's going to dominate global streaming uh, with Netflix over the next five years. And you want to be in that business. Let's go to the second stock here, and this is Tesla. This is one that you have spoken about a lot yeah. on Twitter, and you, you made your stand way back yeah, at, I, under I'm, an 80 I'm the or guy. whatever. I'm yep. the guy. You know, I didn't really think it was making a stand. I made my stand seven years ago when I bought the stock at 38 or something. Or, okay. You know, we, we were sold then. Yeah. So when we made 10x our money and took out that profit, so when the stock was going up and down, for us, it was like a different perspective yeah, than yeah. somebody who bought at 350. Now it's at 200, and That's they're like, true. "Oh my God, this sucks!" Right? You know. So we had all Elon had already proved to us what we needed to be proven. But what he did was he almost blew up the company by being too aggressive. That I think it was 2018, and so there was real risk there, and the short sellers weren't wrong at that point that the ramp would fail on the Model Three, mm -hmm. and and boy, we were nervous, but. But he delivered, and, and this is one of my theories of investing. You bet on people like CEOs. And you know, if you're investing in my company, you're betting on me and my partner and, and my management team. That's what you're doing. Yep. And so you know, I believe that Elon would make it happen or he would die trying. So at least he would be dead if it didn't work. <laughs> but um, so what, what happened was when, when things got tough there, Jerome Gillian, head of production, was the guy who saved the company, put up the, the supposed tent, got production up to what it needed to be, and so on and so forth. And the stock actually was not bad that year. It was at the end of the year at 3-something, three 3.30, I think it was at the time. And then 2019, when, when actually things were going pretty well, was yeah. when the stock got hammered, right? Yeah. Well, they come out Q1 with a, kind of a throw a baby in the bathwater, you know, throw it all out right, in Q1, right. horrible Q1. Yeah. Uh, they were doing the international ramp. So we're starting to get killed. So I, I fly up to, to Tesla in Fremont, and I meet with their management team. You know, And I don't think short sellers do those things. I walked that factory. I walked the assembly line. I went through each car. On How the amazing was line. that factory? Um, half of it is like an old car factory, and the other half is it's completely a, amazing. Yeah. And that was the solution. Was Tesla was trying to do too much technology too quickly, okay. and it didn't work. Uh -huh. And really what they learned, what we've all learned about technology is the best technology is humans with machines and AI, but humans yep. with them. It's not just machines and AI because there's a lot of things we do pretty well that machines don't do that well. But working with technology, that's what we do at my firm. Yeah. We don't eliminate the human. We leverage the technology to make us better Makes at sense. what we do yep. versus just having computers trade and blah, blah, blah. I just don't believe in that. Yeah. So, so with Tesla... When it when things got really tough, I instead of just like you know selling the stock and being like everybody else, I, I just went and learned as much as I could about everybody involved. And when I came out of there, I was like, "This is the most incredible company I've ever seen." I was personally super motivated. Elon, and then I met Elon, and and I and I and so I'm actually the first person to ever be in a full self-driving Tesla. So at, at at Autonomy Day, I was like zero zero one on the list, <laughs> so to, cool. to, which I was like, wow, that's yeah. cool. And I didn't even know, and thank God, Galley, Galileo Russell, one of my, my best friend podcasters, a Tesla fan, 
um, he was like, Ross, you have one. Like, I have, like, 15. Like, I want to go with you. Like, what you're going to miss the ride. So we get in the full self-driving Tesla, and it drove us around Silicon Valley. We had somebody sitting in the driver's seat. Okay. But – but I was like, how freaked out were you when <laughs> I wasn't freaked out at all? No, you weren't. I was you're... amazed. Yeah. Well, you know, like I use autopilot all the time. Okay. So, like, to me, and we weren't going like 85 and like tr- trying a slalom course. We were yeah. driving in Silicon Valley around, you know, stop signs. And so, so, and it was like one of the coolest things I've ever seen. So, whenever these things happen, mm-hmm. like, I'm like, okay, I've seen something other people haven't seen. And they don't get this that makes at sense. all. Yep. They just don't get it. Yep. So the short sellers had severely less information than I did because they just didn't put the effort in. Right. Okay. They could have gone to these things. They could have made friends with investor relations and gone to the anybody can go tour the factory. They you know, there's no rule. And so, you know, I did the work and then the stock just kept cratering more and, and I was like I started to think I was crazy. I felt like you know, Michael Burry in the big short, you know, or I was like <laughs> yes. in my office. And then he starts tweeting and fighting with the SEC and That's the right. pedo guy. Yeah. And I was like, dude, I am going to get fried on this thing, right. you know. Um, so I was pissed. I went up and I talked to Elon and his handlers were kind of like, oh, God, Ross is being very direct. And hopefully he doesn't <laughs> take this wrong. But I was like, Elon, I'm big on Twitter, too. But like, dude, you're killing us all, yeah. you know. Like, you got to raise money. You got to stop doing this. And literally, like, the next day, he raised money and he stopped doing it. And I was like, wow, you know, he did it a little bit more. But, like, I was like, wow, you know, this guy really gets it. Like, he's not just some oblivious billionaire rich guy. Like, he really cares about he's actually doing the right yeah. thing. Yeah, totally. Elon's a really cool guy. Like, you know, he's a genius. So he's got to deal with all us rest of, of us mortals, Seriously. you know. Um, but if you can get him. He's really sensitive and he does care about what his customers and, and his investors think. And, um, and and you know, even he's kind of got a thin skin, to be honest. I have much tougher skin than he does, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for insults and things like that. <laughs> uh, but, but I think he is the amazing inventor of our time. I, I think he is the innovator that we'll have movies about and books about one day, which we kind of do already, but like he's my age. We went to the same school. We lived two blocks away at Penn from each other and like never met. And we definitely didn't take the same classes. And, uh, and, and you didn't, he didn't look familiar somewhat. You guys no, I never met him. Okay. No, I never, I knew I, I well, was Penn's just pretty big. It's though. a big school. Yeah. And I was in a house. He wasn't in the fraternity scene. Okay. I was a social guy. I, okay. you know, I, I partied, you know, yeah. he, he was, he was like busy. A, yeah, he was studying. And, he was yeah, studying. Exactly. I, you know, I studied too. Cause you have to at Penn yeah. or else you fail out. But, but I was like much more concerned about what college kids should be concerned about. And, and Penn is not the best place to, to do that sometimes. So, so we invested more, you know, okay. and and then with the secondary offering and the uh, the the convertible offering they did last year, we bought a lot of that, and 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 it was just opportune. We made you know three times our money, and and we sold some of our Tesla despite some people being angry at us. But it was like, you know, I made like twenty five million dollars in six months, so I took five million of it, you know, and um. So we're we're it's our biggest position now at my firm because it's grown so much. Um, even after trimming it, um, we're holding the rest of our position. Um, I think what's happening there is amazing. Model Y launch is happening right now. The car is a hundred times cooler than the 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 three which I drive and I really? love. Oh yeah, it's so cool. 
everybody wow. wants this car, you know, in my office, you know, too. So we're getting one in a week. Drive know? it up. You should drive it over here. Well, it's not mine. It's somebody in the offices. I'm waiting for mine, and it's going to my wife, which <laughs> I've been negotiating, you know, with. <laughs> You're going to lose that. <laughs> I, I have. I've lost it. She's like, I don't want to drive your car. I want the Model <laughs> Y. Everybody wants the Model Y. It's for $65,000, $70,000 like a Model X, which is like $130,000. Um, they've got a huge hit there. Solar is calling me day and night. They want to put solar on every Sol roof. Solar City? Not or Solar City, not so but the solar division of Tesla, oh, Tesla. Okay. is now pitching solar to everybody here in California. It's a, a ridiculous deal. I, I rent. Hopefully, I'm going to buy a house now that rates are zero. Um, now, but but the first thing I'm going to do is put solar on my house because okay, yep. if you have two Teslas, you have solar, you're all in cost of $180 a month. You have energy for both cars and your house. Oh, awesome. You're going to save $10,000 a year just yeah. on energy, yeah. and and you don't even have to pay anything. They just come to your house, install it, and you start just paying them 200 bucks a month or whatever. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, no installation costs, no contract. It's a no-brainer. Yeah, that's ridiculous. So we think 30% of the homes in America should have solar on them. Yeah. At least 30. And so, you know, that's 30 million homes. And, and you know, boy, Tesla could do great with solar. The battery business is unbelievably important. And that's what I, I always thought. Yeah, ex Tesla is an energy company because of their battery. Wait till you yeah. see the new technology with batteries that's coming out. So they're going to have battery day. And I think Tesla's making new cells. And I don't know this for a fact, but I think they're making new cells and they're going to be the, the most powerful, amazing battery cells ever made. And I think, like, they'll get Teslas where you can drive them for a million miles. You know, right now we've seen Teslas with four or 500,000 miles on them, like original Teslas. Wow. Um, but these cars don't depreciate. They last forever. And if the battery doesn't degrade and it's super powerful, yeah. oh, my God. When also the brakes, right, they regenerate. Yeah, you don't need new brakes. Yeah. There's no service. I've had my car two years. There's nothing to do. Yeah. You know, I That's charge it at my house in a regular plug. You know, overnight, and I mean that's mind-boggling. It's mind-boggling. <laughs> I don't pay anything for energy. It's like I can't even tell on my bill yeah. if I'm actually paying for the car or not. You know, because you know it really matters how much you know my wife uses the electricity more than than the car. Wow. Um, but the performance of the car, you know, is amazing. So then you've got the the Cybertruck, which was what turned out to be like the worst presentation they've ever done yes. into the best presentation they've ever done because of the genius of of Elon's Twitter, you're totally botching this thing. But I mean, I'll never forget that day because the shock that everybody felt like, uh, I is this a, a real truck? <laughs> right. Yeah. Is this the real truck? Oh, they're going to unpack it. I and, know. And, and I was supposed to go to the event, but I was playing a gig that night with my band. So I was like going through this whole, like, it was a great gig too. And I was just like this whole mental thing. Like, how do I give this up? You know, yeah. not going to Cybertruck. And the minute I saw that, I was about to go on stage, and then I was like, oh, God. It's and then people came from the Tesla thing to my gig and were like, dude, this was the worst Tesla thing we've ever seen. Stock's going to get hammered tomorrow. Yeah. I was like, great. Which it they did. It got it hammered. It did. It yeah. was down like 5% that day. Right. But then I looked at the truck some more, and I was like, you know, this is pretty cool. <laughs> like, I would get it just to be like, F you. It you know, it's like, it's true. a pretty cool truck. It, it does. And by out. the end of the week, everybody loved the truck, and yeah. it got like 400,000 orders. And they That's basically true. took it off the website because it's, they, they just have unlimited orders. Right. Um, and now I really want the truck. Uh, you know, I think it's going to be a few years before that comes. I want the Roadster. 
Um, so you got the semi coming out. Uh, we're going to have another Gigafactory coming in, in Texas, I hope, uh, or, or uh, Detroit maybe um, for Cybertruck and semi. Uh, Giga Berlin is now broken ground. Um, Giga China is, is doing really well despite coronavirus. Now all the car companies in China want to deliver the cars directly to consumers because they don't want to go to a dealership right. because of the virus. Right. So oh, Tesla's already ahead of the curve, yeah. and they're selling. So that's the big boogeyman with tesla is like you know how are they going to do this quarter so i think going once again first quarter is going to be tough for them ramping and china issues but boy if that stock gets hit you want to get in because by the end of the year Tesla's going to be woo yeah. <laughs> so let's briefly just talk about the last idea uh mgp right you, you talked about talk it earlier yeah, yeah with the vegas casinos it, it's the the rent Right there. This yeah, is a MGP REIT. is a REIT. Yep. So yep. you own the building, and MGM pays you rent, okay, at a six and a half percent cap rate. And what what so what's happening with MGP is MGM is selling off all their assets to be asset light and be a management company only. Okay. So they so now MGP will probably buy back a lot of the MGM stock that MGM owns for like a billion and a half in cash. So MGP's ownership. Uh, from MGM is going to drop to like 55%. So MGM has all this cash and they were just doing a tender at like 29 and then that stock's been hammered. Now we haven't bought this yet because I still want to see more about this virus, but but boy, I, I will be in because they have all this cash coming in, selling the Bellagio, selling this and that, and, and then the stock's hammered and they were already planning on returning it all to shareholders. So boy, you know, that could be really attractive. But MGP, it doesn't matter about the coronavirus. You have to pay rent. Right. And so here the stock gets hammered because people don't have any idea what MGP is. They just sell it. Yeah. And they don't realize, hey, hold on a minute. Why would the value of the buildings change That's when true. rent is guaranteed? Yeah. Okay. And MGM's going to pay the rent. Yeah. You know, so their profits might be affected, but not MGP's cash flow. And so, if anything, gives MGP an opportunity now to buy other casinos that are now cheap because they have the capital and then they release it out to the owners. Very good time for them. Uh, stock was up a little bit today. Um, but I, if I can get six and a half, six and three quarters, safely with the upside of 15, 20% just to get back to a fair value where it was, you know, I like it. <laughs> so there are a few ideas worth looking into. Thanks, Ross, for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. That's it for this week on Investing with IBD. Next week, we will have Scott O'Neill on. Scott is the CEO of Data Analysis Incorporated, and IBD is a part of Data Analysis Incorporated. So that's it. I'm Arusha Pierce, and thanks for listening. And for this week's Nilton Charts, make sure to go to Investors.com slash podcast, where you'll find details for each episode in the podcast episode section. And make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast if you haven't already. We'd really appreciate it. You can also send us your questions and comments to investingpodcast at Investors.com. We would love to hear from you and may use your comments on an upcoming episode. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, and nothing should be construed as a recommendation to buy, hold, or sell any securities. Make sure to consider consulting with your financial advisor before making any investment decisions.